The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Do you bring an extra rusher from this second level here? They do. Bill's trying to pick it up. They can't. Allen throws. Intercepting. It's Josh Allen. Intercepting. Josh Allen. That was the Josh Allen who plays for Jacksonville. Picking off the Josh Allen that most of you know who quarterbacks the Buffalo Bills in what was one of the more stunning upsets of the 2021 season. That's not an exaggeration. The game went off 15 and a half is what Buffalo was favored at at kickoff uh, down in Jacksonville um, on what was a crazy NFL day highlighted by some just unbelievable results that nobody had going into the day yesterday. Here's a question for you that I'll let you ponder for just a few minutes, and then I'll circle back to my answer on this. Jacksonville improved to 2-6 and six with their 9-6 to six win over Buffalo. Washington, with their bye week yesterday, remained at 2-6. and six. Which franchise, from a football standpoint, is in better shape looking forward? Uh, I'll get to the answer to that in a moment. Um, It was an incredible performance, by the way, by the Josh Allen that plays for Jacksonville. The first-round pick from Kentucky in 2019 had the interception. He had a sack. He had a stripped fumble. He had eight solo tackles. He has been a burgeoning superstar here for a while now. Um, Let's hope that Washington's Kentucky linebacker that was drafted in the first round, Jamin Davis, becomes the same kind of player that Josh Allen from Kentucky has become for Jacksonville. They're different players. Jamin's going to play more inside as a backer, and Allen is a pure uh, pass rusher as an edge pass rusher. Um, But what a day in the NFL yesterday when you think about some of the results. That result, certainly the most shocking, sixth team um, since 1990 as a 15-point dog or greater to win a game outright. But really the surprising part of that result is that They won, yes. They held the Bills, the highest-scoring team in the AFC, to six points. Six! Um, The other result that just completely, completely shocked me is not that Denver is a 10-point underdog 
pulled off the upset of the Cowboys. I didn't predict it. I didn't. I didn't give out Denver plus ten uh, on the smell test. Smell test seven and six going into tonight's game uh, with Chicago uh, plus the seven against uh, the Steelers uh, in tonight's game. Um, but the fact that Denver led one of the highest scoring teams in the NFC, the Cowboys. The fact that the Cowboys had no points on the board and they were down 30 to nothing with under five minutes to go in the game and they scored two meaningless touchdowns with two meaningless two-point conversions to make the score halfway respectable at 30 to 16. Who saw Denver beating Dallas, but more importantly, the way they beat Dallas, leading the game 30 to nothing? At one point, these are the Cowboys that had won six in a row. And in their last, you know, six games, they had been averaging 34 and a half points per game, had none with five minutes to go in the game yesterday. It was a wild day that saw underdogs covering at a nine to three clip. Nine to four now for the weekend because the Colts were a big favorite. By the way, the Jets, and I didn't know this when I talked to you on Friday. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I was up at the very end of the Jet Colt game, and nobody told me that the Jets actually had a chance for a backdoor cover on Thursday night with Josh Johnson leading an incredible fourth quarter. Anyway, nine and four underdogs this weekend with some real surprising underdogs. The two that I mentioned are the two biggest surprises. Last night, without Derrick Henry, you just figured Tennessee might not be the same team. They go into L.A. with Adrian Peterson. Peterson scored a touchdown, but he was 10 carries, 21 yards. They blew out the Rams. Matt Stafford looked awful. It was his first truly awful game through two picks, And there was a player in that game who I was a big fan of coming out. And I've talked about him periodically over the last year, year and a half. Jeffrey Simmons has become one of the best interior game-wrecking defensive tackles in the game. Jeffrey Simmons now um, in his uh, third year after being a first-round pick in 2019 out of Mississippi State. And Jeffrey Simmons, who was a part of some of those really good Mississippi State uh, defenses, which included Montez Sweat, uh, he was unblockable last night. Three sacks, many pressures, totally dominated and took the game over from the defensive tackle position, and the Titans uh, win in L.A. 28-16. to You would have to think that the best player uh, on defense in the entire league Uh, Aaron Donald had to watch from the other sideline and say, that's a dude. And you know what? They've got dudes on defense. Danico Autry's great. Harold Landry is really now really starting to become a major problem for for teams in his fourth season out of BC. Kevin Byard is just incredible uh, as, as a DB. They are a good football team, and I think they're well coached. I've said this now going back to you know, last year and the year before, I think Vrabel's doing an outstanding job. Of course, they don't have Derrick Henry. They're not going to be the same team or the same threat to win the whole thing, but I certainly wouldn't count them out. They've won five games in a row. They got a big one coming up against the Saints. And the Rams, for those of you that were convinced, and I'm convinced that they're a contender, 
boy, they laid an egg yesterday. And Matt Stafford really, for the first time this year, he had a bit of an off game against Arizona, no doubt, um, in their loss to Arizona. And wasn't super sharp against Detroit until the second half. Five sacks, two interceptions um, in his by far and away Worst game of the season. Had a 17.6 QBR for the Rams yesterday. His lowest QBR number of the season prior to last night's game was a 64 QBR on a scale of 0 to 100, the ESPN QBR stat. That was in week two in a win over Indianapolis. Um, There were other surprising results for sure. The Giants, now I gave them out in the smell test, and I thought they had a chance to win the game. They won over the Raiders 23-16. Still, the Giants without, you know, total health. Uh, offensively in particular. They did get Galladay back yesterday. They had Kadarius Toney. Still no Saquon Barkley. They're injured along the offensive line. Um, But they get a pick six early in the third quarter, and they never relinquish that lead against a Raiders team that's just been through it this year, man, haven't they? Um, Even though they are having a good season, five and three, with the Gruden emails and the Gruden firing and then the tragedy last week in Vegas um, with Henry Ruggs and a poor woman and her dog. Um, the Raiders uh, lose to the Giants. I'm telling you, I've been talking about the Giants and the Eagles go back before the season started. Neither one of those teams sucks. I don't know where the, the season will end for them, but neither one of those two teams suck. Uh, they're both better than Washington. Uh, I I don't know what these games are going to look like by the time we get to them, but they are both better teams and have played better uh, than Washington this year. How about the Browns with no Odell Beckham Jr. and all of a sudden they're lighting people up. Now Nick Chubb makes a big difference, man, when he's healthy and rumbling. He he ran for 137 yards and just 14 carries and Ward had the pick six early in the game when when Cincinnati on their opening drive was in a goal-to-go situation. He had a 99-yard interception return, but the Bengals, you know, just two weeks removed from beating the Ravens 41-7 have now lost back-to-back games to the Jets 34-31 and to the Browns 41-16 yesterday. Um, Moving along, the Eagles were right there with the Chargers. Dustin Hopkins missed an extra point and then made a game-winning field goal at the gun from 29 yards out, and the Chargers snap their two-game losing skid. But the Eagles played well, and I'll tell you what, I think it was one of the better games Um, uh, played by Jalen Hurts. He had so many big third-down conversions, several of them with his legs. Their defense just could not get the Chargers off the field in that one. Um, The Vikings had a two-touchdown lead twice on the Ravens, blew it. Uh, Lamar Jackson, really on the strength of his legs, brought him back. They ran 90 plays in the game, Baltimore did. You just rarely hear about that in the NFL. Somebody running 90 plays. They had over 350 yards of offense in the second half against Minnesota, who in the second half barely even had the football. It was on them when they had it. They didn't do anything with it. They they ended up having a, a kickoff return for a touchdown that gave them a two-touchdown lead. Then they went down by a touchdown. Kirk drove them 75 yards through a touchdown pass at the end of regulation um, to tie it and force overtime. Uh, but Baltimore wins it in overtime. They actually got a great interception uh, by Anthony Barr in overtime, and Cousins and company went three and out 
and Baltimore then took it, got it into got it into field goal range. The Vikings are three and five, all five losses by seven or less, two of them in overtime, um, and one of them by one point on a missed thirty four yard field goal. Um, what else happened in the NFL yesterday before I want to circle back to this Jacksonville conversation? The Falcons, a week after losing to Carolina, they blew an 18-point fourth-quarter lead but got a field goal at the gun to beat the Saints 27-25. Uh, outstanding was Matt Ryan in this one. In this one, 23 of 30 for 343, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Cordell Patterson's been one of the great ads of the offseason. Six catches, 126 yards for Patterson. Pitts had three catches for 62 yards. And the Falcons right now, right now, are the number seven seed. If the season ended today, they would be in the postseason. Two more games I want to just mention real quickly. The Cardinals beat the 49ers without Kyler Murray, without DeAndre Hopkins. We know they have no J.J. Watt. They lost Chase Edmonds during the game. And I didn't see this game, you know, in terms of start to finish. I saw a lot of it on the red zone, okay? How about the game that Colt McCoy had starting for Kyler Murray? Every time I turned on the red zone, they were blitzing him, and he was calmly picking it up and making a great play. 22 of 26 for Colt McCoy, 249 yards a touchdown, no interceptions. He also had 23 yards rushing on seven carries. What a game for Colt McCoy as Arizona handles the 49ers, handles them with Jimmy Garoppolo in there. Uh, They got George Kittle back. They had too many turnovers. Kittle had a catch. He was rumbling down the field, then lost the ball. Ayuk lost the ball once. Garoppolo threw a pick. Um, Three turnovers for the 49ers. They lose to the Cardinals 31-17. And then the game that I think America was waiting to see, the Aaron Rodgers-less Green Bay Packers at Arrowhead with Jordan Love in his first start. That was a terrible football game. Just an awful, awful football game. The Chiefs winning it 13-7. Something's not right with the Chiefs. Okay, they, they're now 5-4. and four. And look, this league changes week to week. So who the hell knows what they'll look like a, a month from now. They might look like the Chiefs again. But wow, do they have they fallen on hard times offensively. The last game they got any kind of offensive, you know, success was the game here against Washington when they scored 31 and put up near 500 yards. They haven't done that against anybody else. They should have lost to the Giants, or they easily could have lost to the Giants on Monday night. They beat the Packers with Jordan Love. And to, to, to have a definitive feeling about Jordan Love after one game is ridiculous. 19 to 34, 190 yards, had an interception. There was there were two missed field goals in the first half by Mason Crosby. Missed one, had one blocked. Um, you know, the Packers scored late to get the cover, and if they had gotten the ball back, who the hell knows what would have happened. Um, but they certainly aren't the same team without Aaron Rodgers. I'll tell you what, though, if they had Aaron Rodgers yesterday, this is a Kansas City team that really seems troubled. They play the Raiders next week on Sunday Night Football. Then they have the Cowboys. Then they get the Broncos, who are now rolling, and then the Raiders and the Chargers, Steelers, Bengals, Broncos. You talk about a schedule. I know people are like, yeah, the Chiefs will figure it out. I don't know. All right, I want to circle back to the question I asked just a few minutes ago. Which franchise has a better football future right now? Based on current context, Jacksonville at 2-6 and six or Washington at 2-6? and six? I'm sure you initially thought 
well, it's not Jacksonville. They, and then you thought, oh, wait, wait a minute. They have a quarterback. They have Trevor Lawrence, and we don't. Boom. There's your answer. More than anything else, but there are other uh, reasons why Jacksonville's in better shape than Washington right now. They have a quarterback. They have a potential franchise quarterback. And Washington doesn't even have the prospect for one at this point. That's where we are right now. We are one of, I don't know, four or five bad teams without the hope um, or without the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the quarterback. You know, you could put certainly Detroit into that category. You could put Carolina into that category for sure. Um, Carolina is a more competitive team than Washington's been this year. They're, I think they're well coached, and I think they actually do have an exceptional defense. Houston's in trouble a little bit because of Deshaun Watson's future um, as a bad team. Um, but you know, teams like the Jets and the Dolphins and the Jags—they've drafted you know super high young guys. Who knows if they'll work out? I think Jacksonville's quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, is going to work out. You can think whatever you want about him. I think Trevor Lawrence, and you know, as we sit here today on November 8th, 2021, gives Jacksonville a much better chance than Washington at having success. They also have Trent Baalke as their general manager. Remember Trent Baalke? Remember when Marty Schottenheimer brought John Schneider and Trent Baalke to Washington in 2001? Trent Baalke, the architect of all of the success in San Francisco with Jim Harbaugh. They've got young players like James Robinson and DJ Chark and um, LaVisca Chenault Jr. on offense. They've got a star in Josh Allen on defense, maybe a bigger star than Washington's got on defense. You'd, you'd have to say that as, as far as where we are today. Miles Jack, um, they've got young players. They're one of the youngest teams in the league. They've got a top five salary cap uh, stand, uh, situation for next year. Yeah, Jacksonville's in a much better situation football-wise than Washington. Same record, completely different, you know, uh, potentials. Washington, as long as you are where Washington is, let me put Washington into a different category because of all the other stuff. Um, Your ceiling really without a quarterback is the floor. You know, there are franchises like Carolina with David Tepper as the owner that cannot have a quarterback but perhaps generate some competitive teams. Washington's ceiling is the floor without a quarterback. And then with a quarterback, their ceiling isn't as high as maybe other franchises with the quarterback, but at least then they have a legitimate ceiling. And it's much higher than it is right now. Much higher. But they don't have the quarterback. Maybe they'll find one. I was just thinking before the show started, Jacksonville at 2-6 and six with the win over Buffalo, Washington at 2-6. and six. Who would you rather be? I, I don't know anything about the Urban Meyer situation. Um, I don't know if this is going to be it for him, but you know what? Uh, if they've got the right quarterback, a lot easier to find the coach than it is the quarterback. Up next, a little bit on the Wizards and then six predictions for Washington's final nine games. Then Jeff Ehrman from Inside Maryland Sports will join us. We'll talk Terps Penn State. We'll also talk Terps Hoops. They open up tomorrow night. We'll get to all that starting right after these messages. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. This segment brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC and they'll double your first deposit. Uh, you get a 250% bonus for any referrals on their first deposits. I've got a smell test pick going tonight. It's Chicago plus the seven in the Monday nighter at Pittsburgh. The smell test seven and six right now on the weekend. So I've got a chance to have my first winning weekend in a while. I really thought... I was going to get off to – well, I got off to a good start with BC on Friday night, Nebraska early. Um, and there was a moment there where I really thought Saturday was going to be an even better day. Ended up going 5-3 and three overall in college. And then yesterday in the NFL, I had the Giants um, early. Um, I had Carolina early. And what was the other one? Uh, two and three in the NFL. So I had the Giants were a winner. Um, the Vikings were a winner. So I was two and one during the one o'clock window with Carolina being the loser. And then late I had San Francisco and look, I had a minus two. They went off at minus five and a half. So if they hadn't gotten it done, you know, minus four in that general area where probably most of you had it, I would not have counted it easy to say now. Um, and I had Philadelphia and they certainly had every chance in the world to win that game outright. That game, by the way, went off even one of the sharpest sides of the day were the Philadelphia Eagles uh, yesterday. Uh, so really rooting for Chicago tonight and Justin Fields to keep it close against a Pittsburgh team that's, you know, rolling a little bit. I mean, the, St- the Steelers tonight can get to 5-3 and three and be a game out in the AFC North. Um, with still, right, have they played – have they played the uh, – the Ravens yet? I don't think they've played the Ravens yet. They've won three games in a row. They have their Ravens games. Yeah, they've got them packed into December. They got two games against the Ravens 
in December. I don't think Pittsburgh's very good. Um, I don't, uh, but I don't think the Bears are that good either. But maybe we continue with the underdog um, weekend, uh, which is at 9-4 and four right now with one game left. Again, mybookie, mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Um, two things in this segment. One, real quickly on the Wizards weekend. They beat Memphis on Friday night in what was their most impressive game of the year. Uh, I thought that uh, putting seven players into double figures uh, that night um, was really impressive. And it's just a reflection of really their depth. This is a different Wizards team. I'm not at seven and three after last night's win over Milwaukee, which I'm going to get to in a moment. I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is going to be a 45 win team. I'd love it to be. Um, there's a long way to go, and they've got a lot of road games coming up. But I thought Friday night was a real reflection of what they can be. And remember, that's without Rui Hachimura. That was without Davis Bertans. That's without Thomas Bryant. I mean, two of those three, you know, going to be major contributors to the team. That was with Kuzma going for 13, Gafford going for 15, Dinwiddie going for 12, Beal for 17, Caldwell Pope for 12, Harold for 18, Neto for 15. My God. They put seven guys in double figures. They had they had 10 guys in the game play at least 17 minutes on Friday night. It was an impressive win. Memphis had won two in a row over Denver coming in, um, and, and the Wizards were, were really good on Friday night. I thought it was by far and away the most impressive game of the year and the most impressive defensively they've been all year. I didn't necessarily feel that way last night. I think sometimes people – will do a lot of box score reading, as I've referred to, and they'll look at the shooting percentages and they'll say, whoa, what a great defensive effort. They've been a better defensive team than they were last year. There's no doubt about it. First of all, they try harder. Um, And they've got a couple of of guys that actually can defend. Um, But the Bucs missed a lot of wide-open looks, especially down the stretch in that game last night. I mean, Hill missed wide-open looks. Grayson Allen missed wide-open looks. Holiday missed wide-open looks. Um, and I'm talking off of, you know, a Tentacumpo action where, you know, he's drawing the defense and they're one pass, two, you know, maybe a, uh, a second pass and somebody's standing all alone. They ran a play out of a timeout for Grayson Allen. I mean, he just sat there, got his feet set, get it, got his feet set, took a deep breath and just missed it. Missed it badly, too. So I, I'm... I'm not about to subscribe to the Wizards are a great defensive team. They're an improved defensive team through their first 10 games. Last night's game was, for me, and this is going to sound crazy to some of you that listen to me and know my number one criticism of Bradley Beal, but I thought it was Beal's best game. I thought it was Beal at his best as a scorer. My God, when he gets on a roll and he starts crossing people up, or he goes hard and then step backs in the mid range, and then steps back in the mid range, or he gets it to the rim. He was so good offensively last night. Ended up with with his first thirty point game of the year, and I'm saying that despite the fact that he had three horrible turnovers down the stretch. Another six last night. Three of them were horrible, but up until that point, I thought he played his best game. Um, And, you know, watching him work and watching him get to the rim or watching him get to those mid-range with space either on a crossover or on a step back where he creates incredible space and then he just... You know, those shots are just money for him. He was two for three from behind the arc, which was his first, 
you know, game in which he made some three-pointers or shot a higher high percentage. He's still, for the season, only shooting 25.4% from the three-point line. He missed his first free throw of the year last night. He was 35 of 35, and he missed a free throw last night. Um, but I thought he was really good at, at, at being unselfish, even when he had it going offensively. And on the key possession of the game, Dinwiddie did not have a good game last night, and he's been pretty consistent so far uh, this year. But on one of the key buckets of the game, um, Spencer Dinwiddie hit a big three with about 24 seconds left, something like that, up 98-94. And it was a great job by Beal to draw the double. He saw the double coming. He was smart. He was patient. He let it come. He, he had the spacing with the double team, made a perfect pass to Avdia, who made a perfect pass to the wide-open Dinwiddie, and he knocked it down. So on a bad night, Dinwiddie made the biggest shot of the night a three with just over, I was somewhere around 22, 23 seconds left in the game. And it was Beal who really saw the double, read it perfectly, didn't try to split it, didn't try to shorten the floor. He expanded the floor, invited it, made a great pass, and Abdiya made the great pass. By the way, I thought Abdiya's defense last night was exceptional last night. I'd love to see him be more confident finishing around the rim. Uh, And Harrell continues to be um, a beast and a leader for this team. And I know Neto drives a lot of you nuts. The dude knows how to play, period. Um, good win for the Wizards, 101-94. They're 7-3. and three. They're a game out in East. All right, uh, before we get to Jeff Ehrman, um, I've got six Washington football team predictions for the uh, remainder of the year. All right. I had like 10, and I, I don't know why. I narrowed it down to these six because I thought they were kind of realistic, and I thought one of them was you know at least one that would really piss some of you off, which is why I kept it in there. Six predictions for the rest of the Washington football team season. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't, it doesn't cost you a thing. helps us. Rate us and review us wherever you can. Kyle Allen will start games, period. Uh, that's plural, too. He's going to start games. And this is why I think this is going to happen. First of all, I think the next two opponents are going to be difficult opponents for Washington. I think their game against Tampa Sunday is a real hard game with Tampa coming off the bye week. And then I think Carolina on the road will be a difficult defense. I'm, I'm saying offensively, I see two tough offensive days for Washington coming up against the Bucs and the Panthers. Hell, if they could only score 13 against the Chiefs, and 10 against the Broncos without Von Miller. And I know the Cowboys didn't score any, so maybe, you know, whatever. And I think the Broncos have talent defensively, and I think they are so well coached defensively. But um, I think we're going to see Kyle Allen. I don't think we're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick the rest of the year. That's my guess right now. Um, I also want to just point out, it's not because Taylor Heineke has been anywhere near the top of the list of the reasons why they are 2-6. and six. He's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, But they've moved the football this team has with him. Even in the last couple of weeks, they have moved the football. You know what they couldn't do in 2018, 2019, and 2020? Pretty much week in and week out with a few exceptions is move the football. I mean, they really haven't moved the football since Kirk Cousins was here. And now they've at least been moving the football this year consistently. It's not him. It's going to be, why not? 
They're going to lose to Tampa and have a bad offensive day, especially if Tampa's healthy. They're going to have a tough offensive day against Carolina. I see Kyle Allen playing games this year. That's prediction number one for the remainder of the year. Number two, I see Jarrett Patterson getting more and more time, especially if they're going to take it easy on Gibson and the shin injury. And I see Jarrett Patterson having at least one 100-yard rushing day. Number three. Number three uh, is the first of two players that I'm going to mention um, that I know the coaching staff likes a lot, and I've known it for a while. The third prediction for the remainder of the year is that wide receiver Dax Milne gets a lot of chances to prove that he can be their slot receiver next year. Adam Humphreys is on a one-year deal. He's not coming back. I think they like Milne a lot, and I think we are going to see Milne a lot down the stretch. Um, Number four on my list of predictions for the rest of the year. They like James Smith-Williams, their seventh rounder from NC State from 2020. We saw his snap count increase last year. We've seen him, you know, a part of the rotation. Now with Montez sweat out, we're going to see James Smith-Williams play a lot. And I am predicting that James Smith-Williams ends the season with more sacks than Chase Young. By the way, it's not necessarily a shot at Young, although he has not played well this year. And I'd like to see a turnaround. I want to see him be the player that I thought he was when I wanted them to tank that giant game at the end of the year so that they could draft him. Um, But now with sweat out, even more attention will go on Chase Young. And I do think that James Smith-Williams has the chance to benefit from that. I think he's got a quick burst, and I think he's got a couple of moves, and I think they like him a lot, and I think he's going to get the snap count. He got his first sack last week. For whatever reason, I thought it was his second of the year. Uh, That's my fifth prediction. Uh, Two players, number four was Dax Milne, number five is James Smith-Williams. Both are going to play a lot, and both are going to have the chance to really prove um, something to the coaching staff because I think the coaching staff believes in both of those players. Uh, The sixth and final prediction for uh, the remainder of the year is that John Allen continues to be their best player because I think really he has been, in terms of all eight games, the best player on the team, and he will end this season with his first Pro Bowl appearance. There you go. Six predictions for your Washington football team's final nine games. They are Nine and a half, ten point underdogs against Tampa. Tampa coming off the loss before their bye week. They lost to New Orleans last week. Um, they hope uh, from the, from their standpoint, they're uh, you know hopefully a lot healthier than they've been, especially on defense. Um, I don't think this is a great spot for Washington. Although Jesus, I mean, how many double digit underdogs are we going to see uh, be right there with chances to win and even win games outright? Maybe Washington is the team this week. Maybe they're the nine and a half, ten, wherever that game goes off, point underdog that ends up having a shocking uh, win and upset. I don't see it this week though. Tampa's going to be pretty hungry coming into the. Uh, coming into Landover for this one. All right, up next, Jeff Ehrman from Inside Maryland Sports. We'll talk a little Penn State, Maryland from the weekend, and we will talk about Maryland basketball, which opens up tomorrow night, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, let's talk some Terps to finish up the show today. Uh, They had a football game Saturday in which they actually had a chance, a legit chance to pull off what would have been a big upset over Penn State at home. And then basketball season, look, you're – you can't prove to me you're a Terp unless you're more excited about basketball season than the end of a football season. No offense, Mike Loxley, who I love dearly. Uh, but Jeff Ehrman, our good friend from Inside Maryland Sports, is going to join us to talk about both. It really is, Jeff, for me. Uh, I was talking to a couple of people over the weekend after the Penn State game, and I'm like, well, whatever. Basketball season starts Tuesday night. And yep. really, more years than not, over the course of your lifetime and certainly over the course of my lifetime, there is an excitement about basketball season um, when you're a Maryland person that just doesn't exist in, in the middle of football season for many schools. You know, there are probably, what, maybe 20 of them? I'm talking about from Power 5. Maybe 15 of them that are actual basketball first schools, right? Um, yeah. Other than that, you know, nobody's thinking about college hoops if you're at a at a Power 5 school in the middle of football season. Typically, you're not. Yeah, it's really funny, Kevin. That's all spot on because, you know, I see this stuff from behind the analytical curtain, uh, analytics curtain, I guess I should say. And, yeah, right around this time of year, unless it's one of those good years, which have been pretty rare recently, as you said, for Maryland football, uh, the attention all goes to basketball. You know, it's it's. Obviously, Maryland fans are—they're they're more than willing to jump on that football bandwagon when the team's going well. But it is totally uh, an outlier among college sports spaces, like you said, because uh, you know we have communications with with the network. We're on twenty-four-seven and other sites, and we are—it is very rare, you know, to even see a basketball article on their on their sites this time of year. You know, I, I, I've had this conversation before with other people, but in the Big Ten, look, the ACC was always uh, the the number one, in terms of the Power Five, basketball first conference. You had more schools in the ACC where basketball was more important than football, but no other leagues like that. But in the Big Ten, other than Indiana and maybe Rutgers, do you consider any of the other schools to be obvious basketball first schools like what would you yeah, it's funny illinois purdue? is is well purdue yeah purdue is is tried there's a couple like illinois and purdue that almost seem to be 50 50 down the middle between football and basketball but i've seen those illinois basketball fans you know i used to cover missouri way back 
in the day, and you know they had that rivalry, obviously. And I covered some Illinois games, and they are to me the ones in, in the whole Big Ten that remind me the most of Maryland fans. I mean, they are hardcore, even with the team having the program having struggled after that that run they had with Bill Self. Uh, they stay stay in tune to Maryland. Indiana and Michigan State too, but they've had more reliable football to be fans of. So I feel like Maryland, Illinois, and Indiana are somewhat similar in the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I think um, I think the Illinois thing's interesting because God, remember two years ago when Maryland went there on a Friday night and Illinois was ranked, and their students were lined yeah. up all day to get into that building. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, of course. You know, Illinois has been to Final Fours. They've been to a national championship game. You know, they have not had anywhere near that level of success in football that they've had in basketball previously. Um, Purdue's kind of that way. You know, there are other schools like Iowa fans care about their basketball. Wisconsin fans certainly care very much about basketball. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Michigan they care, State. but it's still number two. Yeah, it's still number two. And at Michigan State. I, I think it's still number two as well, even though it's been Izzo in Final Four, you know, after Final Four. But I think those people in that st- – I don't know. Maybe maybe Michigan State is split. Maybe that's even two. I think, I think so. Anyway, all right. Uh, let's We'll circle back to basketball in a moment. Um, I – I was actually out of town. I wasn't able to sit down and watch the game Saturday start to finish, although I, I'm going to get to it. Um, but I was watching in a bar with lots of friends, uh, and they had a chance. I mean, at 14-14, they have had a chance, and they've got you know Penn State backed up a little bit, and Dotson was just too much. But give me your overall summary of why they couldn't, you know, after they even that thing up in the second half, couldn't hang in there and give themselves a chance. Yeah, I mean, Penn State was clearly playing the we're going to wait till you shoot yourself in the foot game, very conservative, and it, and it worked. You know, Maryland has turned the ball over too often. Uh, more importantly, they can't force any turnovers. They haven't had forced a turnover in five games, which is, to me, almost unheard of. Wow. So Penn State, yeah, five games in a row. So Penn State kind of waited them out, waited for them to make mistakes, and they did. It was the, the botched snap, I think, was the biggest one when Maryland was driving to yeah. score. Uh, it's a new center. Spencer Anderson hadn't been playing center. He moved there to replace Eric Harris, who I guess was struggling a little bit. So the bad snap, obviously the pick at the end, and then you know second or third and long, he let Dotson get free for an 86-yard touchdown. Those to me were the three. You know, Maryland they lost the turnovers and they lost the big play battle in a game where neither team had a lot of offense. Yeah, I mean, I. Um... When it was when they when they scored and and hit on the two point conversion to tie it at fourteen apiece, and they had Penn State, uh, you know, on on second and nineteen or eighteen or something like that, and that was a moment because it's early in the fourth quarter. I'm like, they got a legit shot to win this game, and Penn State was not dynamic offensively to that point really, and maybe to your point, they were playing super conservative. Um, it seems to be Maryland's M.O., you know, this year and last um, and even the year before that, they have a lot of self-inflicted, you know, um, it's not – I wouldn't call them self-inflicted losses, but self-inflicted blowouts in, in terms of final scores. They do a lot of it to themselves sometimes. Yeah, that's been the story. I mean, that's the biggest theme. Uh, and Loxley, Mike Loxley will tell you that himself. It's not like he's trying to deny it. Uh, you can tell he's becoming frustrated. Some of his comments, you know, 
especially about like Dotson running free in the secondary all day. He kind of alluded to the fact that the players need to be coached to, to cover better than that, you know, certain techniques that they were not employing that they should have not let him get inside leverage on all those crossing patterns. Um, and so you can tell he, he's becoming a little frustrated. Obviously, he's the head coach, so it's all going to fall on him. But, yeah, it's just been little mistakes, turnovers, penalties. The penalties have gone down a little bit lately. They're not at the astronomical rate that they were last season and earlier this season. But, you know, they definitely have not helped themselves. And, you know, when you have certain deficiencies and when you have injuries that have hit that hit you like them, Dante Demas being just an enormous loss. I mean, you watch what Dotson did. Well, their their version of Dotson is, is Demas, and he hasn't been on the field in a while and won't be on the field. But... Uh, clearly they have not helped themselves in terms of discipline. Uh, did you think the, 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 the supposed late hit on, on Tungavailoa um, should have been called or not seemed to upset a lot of Maryland fans? Oh, clearly. I mean, that was clearly a personal foul. It was somewhere between a shove and a forearm shiver, depending on which team you follow, I guess. But there's no question about that. I asked, uh, you know, I asked the source that Maryland, if they were going to, appeal that and I was told that they actually send in like six to eight plays per game to be reviewed so if they send six to eight per game that's going to be the first one they send five and four um after the loss to Penn State they've got three left they have uh Sparty coming in this weekend they're a 13 and a half point dog which is a little bit scary because Michigan State even before their win over Michigan they were you know they weren't favored by much over Indiana weren't favored by much over Nebraska um, they, they've, they've been sort of, uh, you know, a, a lighter favorite in some of these games, even if, as they were building up the record, they're a big favorite this weekend, um, you know, any slanting against the Terps, then they get Michigan and then it's Rutgers. Are you of the mindset that you chalk these next two up as losses and you hope to beat Rutgers to get bowl eligibility, or do you think they have a chance the next two weeks? I mean, if you're the coaches, you don't. If you're a fan, yeah, I think most people have. The, the funny thing, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, is people have been talking about that since before the season, how it's going to come down to that Rutgers game. Yeah. I don't know how everybody seemed to predict it collectively, but that's kind of been the talk all season, is that they could go into that game with five wins, and that's kind of the – and then obviously then that's the biggest game in Mike Loxley's head coaching career to that point, right, because he needs that bowl eligibility this year to kind of keep a little bit – keep the momentum going and keep people from grumbling too much. So, yeah, there's, good, there's obviously a great chance of that. I mean, Michigan State's going to be tough. Maryland hasn't been good on the road. And then Michigan, you know, they've handled Maryland recently. It is at home. But either one of those would be a huge upset. So looks like Rutgers might be a bowl game to get a bowl game, so to speak. Uh, yeah, the the opener against West Virginia for a lot of people were like, if they can win that game, they'll put themselves into position at the end of the year to have a chance to get to bowl eligibility. Do you think Locks is in trouble if they don't make a bowl? No, I wouldn't say in trouble in terms of like being fired, but I would say it's going to make things more difficult. You know, the bowl is just something a lot of uh, – fans and supporters and recruits and media look at obviously you know it's in reality it's kind of funny because it's just one win and and getting the six and six is not you know the same as uh making march madness in basketball or or whatever you might compare it to but you know i think if they don't get that then the the grumbling during the offseason is going to grow and uh you know he'll definitely have pressure heading into next season 
and probably pressure to make changes during the offseason of some sort. Yeah, and I would just mention um, Rutgers doesn't stink. Uh, they're 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 they got blown out by Wisconsin, who right now might be the most dangerous team in the in the Big Ten. To be honest with you, I think they're well on their way to potentially being the uh, the Big Ten West winner and facing you know potentially Ohio State, Michigan State, or Michigan, depending on how how it plays out in the Big Ten title game. They are really nasty defensively. Yeah. Wisconsin is. Um, uh, but I was going to say Rut- Rutgers isn't terrible. Rutgers, you know, beat Illinois like Maryland did. They, you know, they've had some, you know, competitive games. They had a competitive game against Michigan earlier in the year, but whatever. We'll see what happens when we get there. All right, let's talk hoops. Um, transfer portal was, you know, pretty good to Mark Turgeon in this offseason as it was to everybody. You know, the, the it's it's a new day in college basketball, and you, every year is yeah. like a new year and an opportunity to reconstruct a roster. What do you think of their roster? How good do, How good can they be? I'll tell you what, Kevin. I, I've said this, and I people think it's, might think it's overstated. I think this might be his best team, Mark Turgeon. I think it's very likely his deepest team, at least, which is pretty much a full 180 from last year, which was you know, his least deep team, and somehow got to the tournament. Obviously, they struggled. They didn't have size now. It's that Noah's Ark thing the coaches say they have two of everything. You know, they have uh, a really deep, experienced starting lineup. I think the bench, there's a lot of good young talent. Julian Reese looks really good as your backup center slash four. You know, you had no no center last year. Now you've got two legit, really good centers this year between him and Kadus Waha. But I think the biggest addition was Fats Russell. I mean, he is, now that he's in a position to just be more of a facilitator where he doesn't have to score, I think he'll be one of the best point guards in the Big Ten. He is so fast. Uh, you know, Turgeon said he might be faster than Anthony Cowan, and based on watching him in the exhibition game uh, last week against Fayetteville State, I think it's probably true. That's not saying he's as good or better, but I think he's the biggest addition that lets Ayala move to the two to score more. Dante Scott looks really good coming back. Uh, Hakeem Hart, you know, has really filled out. Suddenly looks like a grown man overnight, grown to about 6'8", 2'10". So I think that there's a lot of pieces in play for him this year. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, let's let's stick with the roster for a moment. I I had Turgeon, by the way, on the radio show this morning. If anybody wants to go back and listen to it, it was in the third hour. You can find it on the team980.com or um, the audience. I'll be writing that up. Um, yeah, he, uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's not, that's, that's not why I said it, but I appreciate that. Um, he's really excited about Fats Russell and actually said, he, he said, he's actually better than I thought. You know, we've gotten, you know, yeah. a, a look at him. I, I'm a big believer personally, cause I feel like we all go through this every year, especially Maryland basketball fans. And you start talking about the new players. I don't think we really know until we start seeing him play games. And even he said yeah. there's a certain amount of that that's true. You know, they have a sense of who it is now, but, you know, a lot of guys are gamers that don't practice well, and a lot of guys are the opposite of that, and how it all fits together and how they decide to play, you know. Um, it certainly sounded like to me, b- before we circle back to the roster here for, for a moment, that he's got um, a roster where they don't have to play the way they did last year, which I give 
give him all the credit in the world, uh, Jeff. I think he did one of his best coaching jobs last year. Um, he had Dante Scott right. guarding centers. Um, he had Dante Scott as the biggest guy on the floor. Uh, they defended their asses off. They had a very good defensive college basketball team last year. Um, they played uh, a slower, which you know has driven some of us nuts uh, when he hasn't had to do it. But last year, you know, it made more sense that he did it. Is this team for you a team that he's going to be able to take it off the glass and get out and transition and try to score seventy-five to eighty a game or not? Well, I feel like that's the million-dollar question, Kevin. You know, like we have this conversation almost every year, and he'll say a few things about speeding up the pace, and then once conference play comes, they kind of revert to their slower pace. Typically, one of the slower paces out there, but. You know, if it's not this year, it's never with his squad. He, he has talked about playing big, which, you know, could mean Wahab at the five and Reese at the four sometimes or lineups like that, but, and how, you know, he's very excited to be able to play inside out. But you got a guy like Russell who has the speed that he has and the ability to get the defense on its heels and either, you know, make an open lane with that speed or finish at the rim. I mean, he had a couple, and again, it's an exhibition game, but he had a couple of really impressive finishes uh in the game the other day so i think you know you, you got to run some with this team the personnel is there you can play small you can play with russell ayala uh dante scott hakeem hard and julian reese you know a small but uh athletic lineup and, and not really small those guys are fairly you know tall for their positions but you know i think this is this definitely should be the team where that changes a little but you know again it's one of those you, you believe it when you see it scenarios. All right. All right, let's talk about the rotation. I think tomorrow night we'll see Russell appoint Eric uh, in the backcourt with him, Dante, Hakeem, and then Wahab, right? Those are the five starters? Yeah, I think that's the lineup right there. All right, so tell me what's next. He seems to really like Martinez. I mean, he talked a lot about Martinez and a lot like you did about Reese. So, but he also talked about depth. Tell me the, the the players that you you see being a part of the rotation and 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 being big contributors this year. Yeah, you nailed it with those two. I think Martinez and Reese will be your first two guys off the bench. Uh, one of the big questions is going to be whether Martinez is a backup, you know, point guard. Whether he can give you ten, you know, ten twelve minutes a game at the point. If that's you know, if that comes to fruition, like Turgeon seems to think. Uh, then that's huge because they don't, you know, they want Ayala to stay at the two all year, and there's not really another proven point guard or even maybe an actual point guard on the roster. So that's big. Martinez coming in at the one, and then Reese will will be, you know, sixth or seventh man, however you want to, however you want to order it. You know, coming in mostly playing the five. Uh, he's still it'll still be interesting to see how he does against Big Ten centers because. You know, he still needs to put on some muscle. He was pretty thin. He's gained, I think, 10 or 15 pounds since the summer. But, you know, I think that's kind of like it was with sticks, maybe not quite to that extent in terms of the strength issues. So that'll be interesting. And then after that, I think Xavier Green, transfer from Old Dominion, uh, is better than people might think, you know, with him coming from Old Dominion. He's 25 years old. So when you have a guy who's 25, you know he's committed to winning and he's going to try hard because you're not going to be there at that point if not. Uh, he's an athletic guy, good defender. Maybe maybe could serve as like a poor man's Daryl Morcel this year. And then uh, Pablo Ziuba is a transfer from Arizona State, who they love. He's he's an absolute tank, about six six eight, six nine, probably six eight, about two fifty, just athletic. 
super strong, so he'll give them some some reserve minutes in the front court. And then you have a couple. I mean, James Graham is another guy. Obviously, yeah. came in early last year, can really shoot. I mean, if he hits shots, it'll be hard to keep him off the floor. The challenge for him, obviously, is that they're so deep at that three spot that you know there's a lot of competition. Um, you really think this is going to be his best team? I think it's got a chance. I really do. I don't think he's had a team. You know, he doesn't have a mellow kind of guy. Uh, but I think that this is the most balanced that he's probably had. Maybe the most experienced. Your top two guys, Ayala and Scott, are a senior and a junior. Wahab is a junior. Russell's been around forever. So he hasn't had this kind of proven experience ever in his career, even if he doesn't have that all-American guy. So, you know, there's no telling, obviously. They're not picked to win the Big Ten by any stretch. Everybody seems to have them number four. But, you know, I think it's got a chance to be his best team. Um, you know what's interesting? I mean, we we at the end of last year, uh, I think a lot of us were certainly hoping that Aaron Wiggins would come back. We weren't sure. Um, and if he had come back, I think this would have been a preseason top 10, maybe better, maybe preseason top six, seven in the country. You agree with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Top 10. Um, and I think they would have been, and it was, it's also a team. So you're, you know, and I'm excited about it too. Don't, don't get me wrong for those waiting for me to, to weigh in here. I wanted to get Jeff's thoughts and I talked to coach this morning and I've talked to a couple of people. I am excited, but I think it's like all of these things. It's, you know, how the pieces fit together and he's got a lot of pieces like, you know, and we've seen Turge at times, you know, um, not shorten his bench when he should, you know, and and try with yeah. eight, nine, ten guys to make it work, and it doesn't always work that way. So it's going to be really interesting, and it's going to be a challenge for him as well. But you know, no Wiggins and no Daryl Morsell. Like I am still sitting here on the eve of a basketball season, and Daryl Morsell is going to play for Marquette starting tomorrow night. Daryl Morsell was the defensive player of the year. He is going to be remembered as one of the great players. I mean, he's not going to get he's not going to end up with his number 11 in the rafters. I'm not suggesting that. And nobody's going to put him on, you know, the top 15, top 20 greatest Maryland basketball players of all time. But he's a memorable player. I mean, Daryl Morsell was the heart and soul of this basketball team the last 2 years. And he's not here. Why not? Yeah, that's a good quote. Well, first of all, going back to what you said about shortening the rotation, I think that's something that comes with Turgeon not being quite as much. You know, to be like a great college basketball coach, you have to be a little bit of a psychopath, I think. And he doesn't, he's mindful of not, you know, following through on things he told kids about getting an opportunity or chemistry and things like that so he's more mindful I would say far more so than most coaches about keeping everybody happy for better or worse uh in terms of Marcel he's never come out and explained it you know he's it just hasn't he's never really said no one knows if what was behind it he I think a big part was you know he knew Maryland would have a pretty good team this year and several good guards and Marquette is kind of rebuilding he knows the coach there um, you know, Shaka Smart, and I think he just wants to be the man, maybe, is part of it. And, I, and that's poorly phrased. Maybe he's he's probably looking for a bigger opportunity, maybe to play the point guard, which wouldn't have happened at Maryland. But in terms of other reasons, uh, you know, he really has never come out and said why. Yeah, I mean, 
D- Daryl's not a point guard. I mean, we, we know we know enough about his game, and he, and he he was a player that would struggle occasionally offensively. But I thought he was improved, yep. and I, th- I I'm curious as to who that tough guy. Look, Eric Ayala is smooth, and I think he'll be uh, you. I think he'll be their leading scorer um, this year. I'd be surprised if he isn't their leading scorer. I'm more interested in in who is the second leading scorer. If it ends up being Dante or if it ends up being somebody like Fats or a guy like Martinez yeah. who ends up being a little bit like Wiggins was off the bench, you know, a smaller version. Um, but, but in terms of being able to score, um, you know, back in 2020 when Aaron was coming off the bench on, on that team. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just – it's like everybody forgot. Season's here. We're talking about Fats Russell. We're talking about Q Wahab. We're talking about Ian Martinez. You know, Eric Ayala's certainly, you know, all Big Ten capable um, this year. Uh, same with Dante, you would think, going into the year. Um, and Daryl Morcell's going to play for Marquette. We, a, a weird situation for sure. All right, let's talk. It is. Well, that's a new, new era of college basketball. New team every year. Yeah, not to mention 25-, 26-year-olds, too. I think Wisconsin and Iowa, we're yeah. going to look out there this year and see, I mean, full-grown men that should be, you know, working full-time somewhere. I mean, it, it, almost everybody came back to Wisconsin, right? Aren't they, isn't their average age going to be like 24 and a half, 25, yeah, got something Brad like that? Davison. Brad Davison is definitely on the all. That guy's been in college for 10 years, team, Yeah, along with Perry Ellis from Kansas and Robbie Hummel. Some of those guys, Batty A back in the day, <laughs> well, he's one of those guys who's Hummel's, been around forever. Hummel's not there anymore, and he's not a bad broadcaster um, either. Um, uh, but, no, the other guy from Iowa, the guard, he's coming back, um, right? I think he is. Why am I blanking on his yeah. name? You know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think they brought back just about it. But I don't know if there's honestly a – I would question, you know, somebody I'm sure will have the stats at some point uh, – I don't know if there's a more experienced team than Maryland. You know, they've gone from several years of where you have a guy leave as a as a sophomore or junior herder and Jalen Smith, and then you're pretty young again. And that didn't, you know, that that did happen with Wiggins. But you know, that with the transfer era, they bring in these guys. And going back to your point about leading scores, I think it will be Ayala. I think it'll be him and Scott. I'd be shocked if they're not one, two. You know, combining for like thirty, probably thirty-two points a game, somewhere in that range. Question more is who's going to shoot the ball other than them? Where are the where's the three-point shooting going to come from? Yeah, Jordan Bohannon was the name I was trying to pull. Um, there you go. Uh, he's got to be he's he's got to be in his seventh year. Um, the schedule, you know. Uh, I mean, it's something that you and I have talked about a lot. A lot of Maryland fans have talked about it. Um, you know, you don't get to pick your your ACC um, Big Ten uh, opponent. It would have been phenomenal had they, you know, had Duke uh, in Coach K's final year. But uh, we know that's that, that's not going to happen. But they get a Virginia no, Tech yeah. team who's not ranked but is good. Um, they get Florida at Barclays in December. And then before that, they're in that Thanksgiving thing in the Bahamas. They play Richmond you know, a, a, a solid team. And actually, you know, just looking at some of the A-10 teams like GW and, and, and um, Mason and Hofstra, I mean, I, I, I have no idea if any of these teams are any good, but it's not terrible scheduling for the first, you know, early part of November through mid-November. But then they get Richmond. Who else is in that Bahamas thing? Who do they play the winner of, uh, in the finals? Uh, it's Ole Miss and Louisville. So that could be a pretty good uh... – notch on the resume if they advance and beat someone like Louisville or Ole Miss. I think schedule is clearly better than most years. Like those teams you named off, even if we don't necessarily know how good they're going to be, we know that 
you know, generally they're from a higher level conference than a lot of the non-conference teams they've played in past years. Uh, they scheduled the Florida game in Brooklyn. Uh, so, you know, it's, it is definitely, uh, it, it's not a blockbuster schedule. It's not Gonzaga or Michigan State or whoever else. But it, you can clearly see that, that Damon Evans kind of, during negotiations last year when we were speaking frequently about the contract extension, uh, that there's, you know, a little bit of pressure applied to, to juice up the schedule a little bit. Yeah, and they've got, uh, you know, the Big Ten's loaded um, again this year. I think the biggest disappointment as far as the schedule goes for Maryland fans is not is there's no home game against Michigan. Um, you yeah. know, and Hunter Dickinson and some sort of game there. they got to play at Michigan, and they only play him once. Um, all right, uh, last one for you. Where do they finish in the Big Ten? Um, and give me the teams that finish in front of them. Mm, that's really good. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to knock out Purdue as number one. Uh, Ohio State's really good. You know, I think Maryland probably finishes in that. I think they got the stuff to finish in that two to three range. You know, I really feel like this is a uh, a loaded team. Early on, they might take some lumps just trying to get that chemistry together when you have so many guys from so many different places. Uh, it seems like their chemistry is really good, though. So, you know, I think they're right up, right up in that top three mix. And, you know, he's finished there. Turgeon has, I think, Four out of the seven years in the Big Ten, he's been in the top three. Um, we'll see if the league is like, if these teams are as good as we think. We just never know with the Big Ten, right? Every year we think it's the greatest conference in the history of any sporting competition, <laughs> and then nobody makes the Final Four. It felt that way last year in the regular season. I thought we were watching the best top-to-bottom conference that we had seen in a long time, and then it flamed out in the tournament. You know, and look, Terribly. The, the wars that the, the, these games uh, – we're both ACC. We, we missed the ACC, but the Big Ten and Maryland's presence in it in the last few years, it's been a better league than the ACC. And these games are intense that they play from January through March – and they are physical battles. It is one of those leagues that really does have an identity. You know, Big Ten basketball has this identity of walking the ball up, playing really physically um, in games. Yep. And not everybody plays that way. Michigan State doesn't play that way. Illinois doesn't play that way. Um, but, uh, you know, Maryland has adapted. And, and, you know, like you said, Turgeon's finished in the upper portion of this league pretty much since the day they walked into this league. Purdue's loaded. I love um, uh, Jaden Ivey. I, I personally think he and Travion Williams might be the best two players in the league going into this yeah. year. Uh, I, and, and certainly Illinois and, and Michigan are really good too. Um, but Maryland should be right there. Uh, I agree with you. Um, and then in terms of you know tournament stuff, who the hell knows? You know they they got it. They, <laughs> they, they I, they'll be back to certainly winning twenty something, and you know hopefully somewhere in that neighborhood of, you know, 12 conference games and being maybe a top four seed in a region. I think, I think that's what they have going for them this year. And I think you, you would agree with that, that that's, that's, that's yeah. within reach. Yeah. Has there ever been more of a season where it's like at the very beginning, like, just tell me what happens in March. You yeah. know, it really feels like that. That's been the story for a while. Obviously Turgeon has increasingly acknowledged it too, you know, that we want to do better in the postseason. We haven't, so he's not ignoring the elephant in the room, but that is just, you know, it's been the thought going into a lot of seasons, but it really feels like this year it's the overriding uh, 
sentiment of let's see. I mean, people will be excited. I think the team will be good enough to get people's attention, but that it's all going to come down to March. Yeah, I, I, it's true. All right. And this program is like a lot of, you know, powerhouse college basketball programs get judged on what they do in March. With that said, and I know we've had this conversation before, the journey, the journey the last couple of years has been really entertaining and fun. And the, the, the season two years ago, you know, the, the Jalen Smith game winner at Indiana, um, the, the game at, at Illinois on a Friday night, um, the Michigan State game in East Lansing provided one of the all-time memorable Maryland moments when, when Anthony, you know, went for nine straight on three straight threes. Um, you know, the, the unbelievable Daryl Morsell shot at Minnesota, the, 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 the atmosphere for the Michigan State rematch. Um, it was, there's, it, I mean, I think the ACC was always um, an incredible journey when, when it was loaded and Maryland was always a part of the, the mix and the games and the venues. I, I'm trying to get to the point in my life where I don't, you know, uh, I don't basically diminish that, that, that the journey is yeah. great. And in a one and done, anything can happen. I don't want them to be out in the second round. Trust me. And I certainly don't want them to be out in the second round against a team that is much superior to them. Like last year's team was in Alabama. Like that was a mismatch, but I think we both agree that the 2020 was a chance at a deep run. They got beat by a team at the buzzer that has a salary cap, you know, the year before that in LSU. Um, it's been it, – they've had good teams capable of making deeper runs and haven't really – I mean, they, they missed out on their biggest opportunity, obviously, you know, in 2020. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the big what-if that hangs over the whole – you know, it's a it's a – the whole discussion, it's just a weird dynamic where, you know, if they had gone to the Elite Eight or whatever that year, then people wouldn't be as focused on that because they know that it's a possibility because it it's been done. Uh, so that year really screwed up the math on Maryland basketball and Turgeon uh, to where there's no, no, real, uh, no real solution necessarily or no great judgment. Obviously, he's done a good job during the year. You can't, you can't knock him. He's been a really solid coach. Uh, the unfortunate thing is that, you know, people do largely judge by the postseason. That's what makes college basketball so ridiculous. Um, you know, but I think even if he did, even a run in the Big Ten tournament would probably make people. They they just want that little extra sense of excitement in the spring. Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I agree. And it's not just, that's not just all Turgeon's fault, I should say, too, because, you know, Gary had a, had a little drought on the way out. So you combine the two, and that adds up to a lot more impatience i think you yeah know, when you combine the end of his and the beginning of turgeons and then you know yeah i i mean you, you look you can't you can't argue with the fact that he has not had enough tournament success with that said i mean who knows i mean maybe it was a blessing in disguise that he didn't get to play that 2020 season because it could have yeah. been the postseason that made like last year even more appreciated because it was a rebuilding year and they went to the tournament and won a game um, but it also um, certainly could have been uh, the most disappointing of postseasons as well. <laughs> well, so, he said that. He and give him credit, as you know, he's an honest guy, almost to a fault, maybe. And he has said that too. He says, "Who knows? Maybe would have we might have gone to the Final Four. We might have been knocked out in the first round. You never know. The team was really good. 
they did fade. You know, as you recall, they faded late. They had the conference lead and yeah. shared a piece, but you, we'll, we'll just never know. So, All right. Was well, Quinny Piak any good or not? You tell me. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, I, I think Maryland's favored by 22 or something like that. I'd have to get up again, but no, it should be, you know, with – with the typical clunkiness of a first game that we saw in the in the scrimmage, or excuse me, the exhibition too, you know, once they get that out of the way, they should roll. Well, it's, it'll be great to have fans back in Xfinity. The only thing, and I told him this, although I don't think I told him this on the radio show, too many seven o'clock starts, too many weekend games that 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 could be head to head with football. Not that anybody cares about Washington, but a lot of Ravens fans will be wrapped up into the mm-hmm. Ravens. So there's some there's some of that going on in in December and January. But uh, other than that, could be an exciting year. Thanks for doing this as always. I always appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jeff Ehrman, uh, Everybody from Inside Maryland Sports, follow him on Twitter at Jeff. Uh, underscore Ehrman, E-R-M-A-N-N. All right, that's it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy. I apologize, by the way, for getting the show out so late today. Uh, Just had a couple of obligations after the morning radio show, um, so I ended up getting a much later start uh, than usual. Back tomorrow with Tommy. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.